You know, there's a lot of places we could be today, and um, I would rather be here than anywhere else in this world. To be with all of you, people whom I love, people whom I cherish, and I don't think there's a greater place to be on a Sunday morning than right here with all, with all of you. You know, I know that some of you don't feel like uh, this is your place, this is your home, this is uh, your church. You might have felt coerced to come here today. Maybe someone had told you that there's going to be an Easter egg hunt afterwards. There's no Easter egg hunt afterwards. Uh, maybe you have felt like, you know what, if I don't show up, it's going to be bad news at the in-law's house because I'm here just to kind of simply check mark a box because if I don't, I know that I'm going to be degraded down to the children's table and have to eat my ham there today. Uh, maybe you're here today just because it's some kind of religious obligation for you and this is just what you do on Christmas and Easter. You attend a service like this and you kind of get it off of your chest so that it doesn't have to happen again. But whatever your reasons are today... Let me know that you are not here by accident. (laughs) Hundreds of people in this congregation have been praying for you to be here because they know the power and the life change of the Easter message. They know that Jesus Christ's resurrection means so much more than a day of celebration where we hunt for eggs and have family get-togethers. They know that it represents for us a new life and a new chance to start things all over again. And you've been prayed here. And regardless of why you're here today, regardless if you wanted to be here or not, I'm glad that you're here. And you're here for just, you're here for just the right moment to hear the right things that God wants you to hear. Because I know for some of you, you were forced to get out of bed to come here. I heard about this, this man that uh, was being woken up on an Easter Sunday and he said, well, I don't want to go to church. And she, his mom looked at him kind of inquisitively like, why not? And he said, well, I'll give you two reasons. Number one, I don't like the people there and they don't like me very much. And the mom said, well, I'll give you two reasons why you ought to get up for church. Number one, you're 47 years old. And number two, you're the pastor. (laughs) But whatever your differences are, whatever your experiences might be, I want you to know that you have a place here that you can feel like you belong because this congregation is full of all sorts of different people. We don't want a congregation that is all the same. That would just be lifeless, wouldn't it? It'd be kind of boring if everybody was the same here at Bethany. But we're not the same. In this room, we have uh, Purdue fans. We have Sycamore fans. We have Notre Dame fans. We have IU fans. And you know what? I bet you we can probably find a Tar Heel fan somewhere here, and we can run them out of this place, probably. (laughs) But I know also in this place, we have Cardinal fans. We have Reds fans. And lately, we've been getting Cubs fans. And I think the reason for that is they finally made it to the postseason and they finally came to the conclusion there is a God and they came back to church. But I know that it's very difficult to walk into a building for the very first time. You know, 17 years ago, I walked into a building, a church building, this, not this building, but another building, but with this congregation. And it was very uh, heart-stopping for me. It wasn't easy to get out of the car and to walk in. Even though I shared Christ and I had that in common with these people, there were some things that I just had some unknowns about. Would I be accepted? Would I be loved? In my inexperience, with my failures, would they just embrace me? And friends, you know what I found out? That this is one of the most generous and and, and authentic people that I've ever come across that truly live out their faith and really want to embrace people that are different than them. In this room, we have people who are part of the Republican Party, the Democrat Party, the Tea Party, and we have people that just like to party right here in this room. But whatever you are and wherever you're coming from, whatever your background might be, you're welcome here in this place. We receive you, and of course, our God receives you too.
You know, this Friday is April 1st. That's April Fool's Day. And I uh, had found out that Easter of 2018 lands on April Fool's Day. Kind of a fun way to say, you thought I was dead, but I'm really alive. And I have on good authority that that very first Easter, that very first Resurrection Sunday, was April 1st. And Jesus rose from the dead, and His very first words were, April Fool's. You thought I was dead, but I'm alive. No, that's not what he was saying. He was saying, you thought death was a problem, but death isn't a problem. Friends, if death is not a problem, then what is a problem? What could possibly be a problem if death is not a problem? You may remember the the chaos that kind of took over the nation a couple months ago when the Powerball lottery got to 1.6 billion dollars surely none of you played or got numbers right no not not us yeah we did nearly everybody played and got numbers for that to get a small piece of that pie I mean you know a, a few hundred million dollars what would you do with that well I think I think everybody in this room would do a couple things with that I think number one we would all go and pay off our debts We'd pay off our mortgage, our student loans. We'd pay off maybe that boat that's been hanging over our heads, some car loans. We would be paying off all of our debts. And I hope, you know, a few hundred million dollars would take care of it. But that's what we'd do. And I think number two, what we'd do is we would, we would buy things. We would buy a new house. We'd buy a new wardrobe. Some of us in this room, we might go all the way with it. And we might get the tummy tuck and the liposuction and get a, chain, a, a lift in the face. And we might really just reinvent ourselves and go all the way with it because we have this kind of theory that money, especially a lot of money, will solve maybe a lot of our problems. And what I think is true of winning the lottery, the Powerball, I think would be true of us too if, if we won the spiritual lottery. If we could be given anything. I think many of us would do what we would do if we won the lottery financially. Spiritually, we would, we would want our moral debts erased. All of the past stuff that we're, we feel guilty about, all of the regretful words that we have said that we could just have them jump right back into our mouth that, like they've never left out before. All of the sinful things, the, the moral debts where we've kind of ruined ourselves and we know it, we, we feel the hurt that we've caused and we feel the hurt that we've caused ourselves and and we even feel the separation that we've caused between us and God in that relationship. We'd want all that just removed and cleaned off and and get out of debt that way. And I think also we'd want to just reinvent ourselves. We just want a fresh start, a clean slate, just a way to say uh, a a new self, to say I'm I'm made over, It's, it's something new here. And if we could have that, let me tell you what the empty tomb represents. The empty tomb represents just that. You see, the cross represents the victory that we have over sin through Christ. That's the forgiveness. That's the moral debts being removed. And the empty tomb, the empty tomb reminds us that we can have new life in Christ just as he was dead and rose again. So our life that is dead in sin can be made new. You know, the scriptures really played out like this and they compactulate it together in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come and the old is gone and the new is here. Now, I would love to make this more personable today. And so we're going to put uh, a line through anyone and we're going to ask that you just say your name as we read this together out loud. Are you ready for this? And just, just say your name. No big deal. Everybody's going to be saying their name. But let's just make this personable this morning. 
Therefore, if Matt is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. If you are in Christ, so there's obviously an in and there's obviously an out, isn't there? Because if there's an in, there's got to be an out. So there are in this room people who are in Christ and they are new creations. The old is gone and the new has come. And there are people that are they're out of Christ. If you're outside of Christ, then that would mean that you're still the old creation, that the new hasn't come yet. You know, the Bible describes Christ's death on the cross that happened on Good Friday as a victory. How many funerals have you ever gone to that are are victorious? That it's a victory that someone died. But looking back on this side of history, we get to see that Christ's death was victorious because that victory has brought us the forgiveness of our sins. Our moral debts could be erased. And you know what the Bible talks about and calls the the resurrection of our Savior? Calls it a triumph. Friday was the victory. Sunday was the triumph. The triumph represents to us that we can have that new life, that we can walk out of this place today being in Christ and having a clean slate, being made new because of what Jesus Christ had done on the cross and what he accomplished by being raised from the dead. And your life ought to model Friday and Sunday being forgiven and being set apart as a new creation. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't do so to make, it, make you a weird person. He didn't rise from the dead so that you could be like Ned Flanders. He didn't rise from the dead so that you could be the laughing stock of your office because you're some kind of religious nut now. He asked that you be in the world, but not of the world. He called you to follow after Jesus, not follow after another person, but to follow the teachings of Jesus. And he called you to live, to be a light in a darkened world, to show the world that you can have your moral debts removed by Christ and that you can have a fresh new start and become a new creation in Jesus Christ. But here's one of the big problems I think we face is that we know ourselves better than others know us and we get to look at ourselves in the mirror and we get to see ourselves for who we really are and you know what i think if you're like me you don't like everything you see in the mirror you see your past and and in your past you also see your present and and many times doesn't it work out that when we look at our past and when we see our present we often find that it dictates our future it begins to label us some of the things that we had done. <laughs> a few days back, I was looking in the mirror in the evening right before bed, and I was standing there, and my wife was in the room, and I said, honey, look at me. I've got gray hair. My hair's falling out. I'm getting ugly. I'm starting to get fat. I said, geez, I'm really depressed by this. I said, I could use some encouragement. You know what she said? Well, at least your eyesight's still good. <laughs> you know, the truth is, when we look in the mirror, though, we don't always like what we see. Because what it does is we, we, we become pinned to who we were or who we are, not to who God wants us to be. You see, God has formed us, and the problem is sin has, sin has deformed us. And now we're no longer like what God has originally intended us to be. Elementary students can be pretty brutal. Have you found that to be true? Maybe you had a bad elementary years, or you have kids they've come back with stories. I got, I got some boys at elementary school, and they come back with some stories. They told me a story about a little boy that was caught up in a lie, and um, this little boy had told them that, uh, that, their, that his dad 
played professional baseball and also played professional football and also played professional basketball and that they have a really big mansion down in Florida, but the only reason why they're in Washington, Indiana is so their mom could go to work. (laughs) Now, you know, kids sniff that out. They can see right through it. And so they're telling me that story. And then about a month later, that little boy's name gets brought up again at the dinner table because we're asking about how their day went. And then they said that little boy's name. And I said, well, who's that? And, And here's what they did. They said, you know, dad, it's that boy that lied. Labels. You ever ever been labeled like that? Very few times are we labeled with the good stuff, right? We're we're usually labeled with the bad stuff. That's what labels us. That's what usually sits in. And maybe some of you, you've come from some households where you've been labeled. It hasn't been labeled because of your sin. It's been labeled because of other people's sin. And, And it's been thrown upon you. And you've come from a household where there's been maybe verbal abuse or physical abuse. And what you know about yourself is when you look in this mirror now, you, you see what you've been labeled since you were a kid. And, and maybe that's just, you look at yourself as being ugly or maybe just inadequate. Or maybe you look at yourself and what you see is the word that you've been called and that's stupid, Right? You know what I think the biggest regret that hangs in this room is? The biggest moral debt that many of us would want removed is that the moral debt when it comes to sexual sin, sexual regret. I know this room is filled with people, filled with people that have sexual regret in their life. Regrets about lust, about pornography, maybe adultery, Maybe you had had a night with somebody and you, you can't remember their name. And it just every time you look in this mirror, you think, how did I go to that place in life? That's not who I am. Or maybe it's somebody's names that you can't recall anymore. You know, there's a girl in junior high school that I had come to know, and a sweet girl, pretty girl. One day she was caught making out with a, with a boy by the lockers at junior high. Now, come on, every junior higher has probably kissed or made out at some point, but she was caught, and because of that, she got labeled with the name Loose Lindsay. This poor girl was a sweet girl, and that label must have stuck to her because I'm sure every time she looked in the mirror, Lindsay saw her once as something beautiful, but the sins of other people were cast on her and the label stuck to her. And that poor girl lived up to her name all the way through high school. Man, that's why you see yourself now. And it's just, it's just deformed what God has created and you can't see clearly in this. Or maybe you got laid off from work and, and there is so much bitterness now in you and you drive by the company and you just, you're filled with, you're filled with something that you've never been filled with before. It's called hate and you're like, where did this even come from? And it has deformed the image that God has created us to be. Maybe for you, you've, you've uh, just... Look at all this stuff and you think, well, I'm a failure. I'm a liar. I have anger. I have maybe an addiction. Oh man, for those that have an addiction, how tough is it that you look in this mirror 
And anytime that you try to walk away from alcoholism or drug use or prescription drug use that you've abused or maybe it is pornography, you look at your mirror and you, you're about ready to break free from that bondage and you just say, you know what, I can't do it because this is who I am now. This is just me. This is how I have to live my life. And you've let your history define your identity But friends, your past does not have to determine your destiny. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And we look at ourselves in this mirror and we realize and we recognize, you know what, I'm not perfect. And there's some of you, you go, you know what, I'm I'm pretty good. I, I don't get caught up in this stuff. I mean, the things that are written on this board, that's not me. Well, let me tell you, then what is you? Pride. And that is the worst of all of these. It was pride that got Satan kicked out of heaven and removed from God. It was pride. That's the very thing that will keep you from coming to a Savior that you so desperately need. Because friends, one sin or a million sins, we are all in need of Jesus Christ as our Savior. We need the forgiveness of Christ that happened Friday. And we need the new creation that Christ affords to us that happened today. And so what we try to do is, what we try to do is we try to clean up all this stuff in our life that we recognize is wrong with us. And we do that by trying to do some good things. Maybe the good will overlook the wrong. And so we do the craziest things. We like buy Girl Scout cookies when we're on a diet and we'll never eat them, but we feel guilty by walking out of Walmart and there's some Girl Scouts there. Or we'll we'll throw some money into a boot at a stop sign to help firemen and their families. Not because we really want to, but because of the guilt that we know we ought to. There's something good about that. Or maybe we donate a bunch of money to to some third world country or organization that is working to help supply fresh water towards a village or so that wells can be made. So that we start feeling better about ourselves because we know that our, our life has been deformed from what God originally had formed it by. But what we do is we walk around life and we realize, you know what, I'm just trying to cover up things because here's my question to you. How good is good enough? When does your goodness finally override or triumph over the bad stuff in your life? Who's weighing the scales on that? And and, and can it even do that? Here's what the Bible says to us in Isaiah chapter 64. It says, all of us have become like one who is unclean. You know, I did some word studies, some background works into the book, into Hebrews, the the original language of the Old Testament. You know what I found that word all to mean? All, everybody, all of us. All of us have become like one who is unclean. And all of our, what does it say? Righteous acts, not unrighteous acts. All the good stuff we've ever tried to accomplish, like Girl Scout cookies and building wells in third world countries that need water are like filthy rags. We all shriveled up like a leaf and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. And let me tell you something about that filthy rag. This is Easter, so I'm not going to get too in-depth with it, but that is the filthiest of all filthy rags that you can imagine. It is the dirtiest of rags. And God says, that's what your righteous acts, all the good things that you're trying to do to 
reform what you've already done, that's what it appears like to me. It, it looks like a filthy rag. Your righteous acts, God says, look filthy to me. So what do we do now? I'll tell you what many of us do. We come to religion. When we come to religion, we, we think, you know what I'll do? I'll pray more. I will, I'll serve more. I'll go to small group. I will, I'll, I'll, I'll read my Bible a whole lot more than I've ever had before. I'll listen to Christian radio. I'll make sure that I'm ever at every single church service I can possibly be at. And you know what you call this mess here? You know what this mess is? It's called religion. That's what it's called. When all we try to do is cover over the sins for ourselves, when we try to do something to undo what we have done, and guess what? We don't have the authority or the power to undo what we have done. Only Christ does. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, we are a new creation. And those of us that are outside of Christ, we just whitewash the darkness that is really in us, the sin that, that is prevalent, that still remains, it never goes away. You know, Jesus had some of the harshest criticism for the most religious people. In the book of Matthew, chapter 7, he spoke to his followers on the hillside. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. In the very tail end of that sermon, he said this to his followers. He said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees. The Pharisees were religious men that knew uh, the Old Testament, like they knew the back of their hand. They knew it inside and out, but they never followed the word of God. They just knew the word of God. He calls them hypocrites. Now that's a pretty stinging title, isn't it? That's a pretty harsh label. You're hypocrites. You're not really living up to the words that you're saying. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. And, and you know what happens is when we try to put religion over all the stuff and all the do's and all the good works over all this stuff that we know about ourselves, you know what happens? We're really just covering over dead man's bones. The tombstone looks good. The grass looks manicured. The flowers are bright and beautiful. But what it is hiding is the rotting death that is below and in side you know jesus said to his followers about that he said so many of us will come to christ and we will say god look what i did look what i did isn't this good look what i did isn't this good i i was able to cover over all this this stuff in my life and i i kind of feel good about it i think i feel good should i feel good about it you know, Jesus has some strong words for those that try to live this life of living a life of goodness, thinking that that will save them. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. He goes on to say, many of you will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and perform many miracles? Doesn't that sound like good stuff? Doesn't it sound like God's stuff? It does to me. I've not performed miracles. I've not driven out demons. That sounds like better stuff than I've ever done. God, didn't I do some good things? Didn't I make the good outweigh the bad? And Jesus says, no, 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 I'll tell them plainly, I never knew, never knew you. Away from me. And what does he say to those that did all these good things in his name? Evil doers. You know what happens when we just try to do religion 
and not have the relationship with Christ, not to be found in Christ. We make a mess out of all this stuff because it just whitewashes our sins. But here's what God's word tells us in Romans chapter five. It says, God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Check that out. Why we were still sinners, why we were still caught up in this mess, Jesus had decided that you were totally, totally worth it to lay down his life so that you could have your moral debts removed on Friday and so that you could become a new creation on Sunday and he rose from the dead so that you can become a new creation in Christ. And friends, what took place was 2,000 years ago, divinity entered humanity. And Jesus was born in an obscure village called Bethlehem. And from there, we know that he lived as a normal child, but yet without sin. The Bible says he never known sin. And as a matter of fact, the only time he knew sin is when he died on the cross and took on our sin. He started his public ministry at the age of 30. And you know what the first thing he did before he started that ministry? He was baptized. Not for the forgiveness of his sins, but to set the example for the rest of us that when you start walking with the Lord, there has to be a new birth. There has to be a fresh start, a new beginning. And then he started that walk with the Lord and that ministry began. And he, he did miracles. He raised the dead. He cast out demons. He, he uh, healed the sick. He walked on water. He calmed the storms. The religious men and women hated him in his day. They hated him because he looked at the outsider, those who weren't religious, and he, he included the excluded. And the religious people didn't like that about him. So they found somebody who would betray him, a friend of his named Judas, a disciple. And they paid him some money that if Judas would just pinpoint him in the garden, then, then the soldiers could capture him and the religious leaders could try him. That's what they did. They put a false trial together, put false accusations together. They went around all these government leaders and they finally had him condemned and they finally had him executed on a cross. Friends, I want you to know that that walk that Jesus took to the cross and the scourging that he took by those Roman soldiers was brutal enough. But let me tell you something that I think was probably and perhaps more brutal. That the very hands that slapped his face and punched him upside the head. He could recall forming and making those hands and knowing one day what those hands would do to him. And he still allowed those hands to be created. Now, isn't that love? Isn't that mercy? Isn't that grace? And as he walked to the cross and they drove those spikes into his hands, and they raised him up and he bled out. And before, before he had his final breath, do you remember his final words? He said, it is finished. It is finished. Not I am finished. It is finished. The forgiveness of your sins, it's, it's done here on the cross. You, you don't have to do, you just come, you live in me and you don't have to worry about this here. It is finished. He was pulled off of the cross after making sure he was dead. He was placed in a borrowed tomb. And don't you love it? A borrowed tomb, why? Because he only needed it three days. An angel appears 
The stone is rolled away and he says, Jesus is not here for he is risen. And the stone, the reason why the stone was rolled away was not so Christ could get out, is so that you could peek in and see for yourself that he really wasn't there. And Christ rose from the dead. And the beautiful part about that is that resurrection gives us new life. And that new life is found only in Jesus Christ. And that new life is not just about erasing what we've done. That new life is not about just kind of masking over the bad things that we've done. No, see, the Bible says if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And the old is gone and the new has come. That there is a complete demolition of who you were because God formed you, sin deformed you. And those who are in Christ are new creations. You're new and you're pronounced clean and perfect and you are spotless because you are in Christ. The old is gone, friends, and the new you has come. You get to be a brand new you because of what God did in rising his son from the dead. That's good stuff. And the Bible puts it like this in 1 John. It says, Yet to all who did not receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And my question is to you, when did that happen for you? When did this happen? Has it happened in your life? When did you allow Christ to transform you? When did you become in Christ? Have you ever? You know, trying to think of maybe some kind of illustration that would help you understand how we become in Christ was pretty difficult. And then I realized, oh yeah, you're a preacher. This is pretty easy. God gave you the illustration. It's called baptism. See, baptism is, I'm going to die on Friday for the forgiveness of my sins. And I'm going to rise on Sunday with my Lord to have new life in Him. And you die to yourself in that water and you rise with christ to become a new creation so that there can be a brand new you and friends today if that is what you want let me tell you how that happens you meet with me you meet with somebody that's going to be either here by this door or here by this cross and as this worship team comes and leads us in a song of commitment you just make your move there'll be people in the back and you're saying you know what though this is a holiday i've got to go meet with family i've got to go have dinner after this You know, the very first time the gospel message was preached at the place of Pentecost, it was a holiday. And thousands of people came forward and they gave their life to Christ. And they didn't say, you know, my hair, my hair is just looking too good today to give my life over to Jesus. They didn't say, you know what, I'm dressed to the nines today to give my life. I I can't have my sins forgiven today. I'm, I'm looking too good today. No, they just said, what do we do to be saved? And Peter said, you repent of your sins, you turn away, and you be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll have new life. Back here in the back, we've got shorts, swim shorts, we've got shirts, we've got towels, we have dressing rooms, we have restrooms, we have everything that you need to walk out of this place changed and transformed and renewed to start a new life in Jesus Christ. So I'm asking you, are you ready to do that? Are you ready to have Christ in you so that you can become a new creation? Because that's what this day is all about, and I can't think of a better day to be saved, to give your life over to Him than a day like a resurrection day.